We have been walking through Daniel, talking about um, how to live while we're in Babylon, how to live in exile, how to live when things aren't as they should be, and it doesn't take a theologian or a Bible degree to look around and go, things are not as they should be. Um, you see the news, you, I mean, you talk to your neighbor, uh, broken things happen. Um, and I believe with all of my heart, um, the, the leadership of this church believes with all of their heart that uh, God is actively restoring and redeeming all things to himself. But until that time, how should we live and I think this is an especially pertinent and important discussion to have uh, because a lot of the things that we're picking up on here are things that are opposite to our fallen human nature, meaning these are things that do not come easily or naturally to us. You see, they, uh, the, the people of God were under Babylonian rule, captivity, living under that kingdom and that that system of government, and I think in a lot of ways we're a lot like that because we become kings and queens of our own world. This is one, there's a lot of good things that come with living in America. I, I don't doubt that for a second, but this is one of the major downfalls is, uh, is we get to establish our own Kingdom. We, we throw community and communal living out the window, and we get to be about me and mine. Uh, we seek our own interests, which again, that's, uh, it's, uh, if I said that to any person on the street, they would be like, well, what else am I supposed to do? The Bible's pretty clear that we're going to seek the interests of others. We uh, build and develop whatever it is in our life with our long-term interests in mind, and we seek our own kingdom first. Now, we probably wouldn't use that language like I'm the king or queen of my own kingdom, but in reality, that's what's happening because we're exerting and practicing sovereign rule over our lives, saying that I am going to be the leader of my life, and whatever I say, whatever, whatever I want, whatever I desire is what is best, and that is what will go. So as we talk about how to live in, in Babylon, we talk about um, what it means for us to be God's people in the process of helping reconcile all things back to God and helping restore that which is broken and being light in the darkness and all of those things, um, I think that we need to take a good, hard look at our own kingdoms. Now again, maybe uh, King Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom and, and, and providence and all of those things came in the form of like wealth and land and uh, establishment and that sort of thing. And maybe that yours doesn't look like that because you might be sitting here saying, well, I don't have uh, like acres and acres of land and servants upon servants and, and this upon that. Uh, but believe me when I say that you, I promise, are working to build your own kingdom. So we're going to dig into chapter 4 this week. And uh, King Nebuchadnezzar has another dream. Um, and clearly God is trying to speak to this guy because dream after dream. And Daniel gets to come 
um, we'll say save the day again and, and remind uh, King Nebuchadnezzar and then outside of that, the entire kingdom about who God is and how he's wanting to interact. So we're going to pick up in, uh, we'll start in verse 10, okay? It says, these are the visions. He brings Daniel in and says, I need someone. He knows who to go to. Picks up Daniel. He says, these are the visions I saw while lying in bed. I looked and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Again, this is redemptive imagery. God's putting this in his dream to, to communicate a message to him. Its height was enormous, and the tree grew large and strong, and, it, and its top touched the sky, and it was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and on it was good for all. Under it, the wild animals found shelter, and the birds lived in its branches, and from it, every creature was fed. And on first glance, that sounds like a beautiful, wonderful thing. Like something, it reminds me of the, uh, the tree that is in the middle of, what's his name? In Encanto. Uh, he's the one that gets the gift, and this big tree spouts up. Someone give me the name. This is not a test. I genuinely don't remember the little kid's name. Yes, Antonio. Thank you, Sarah. Uh, Antonio gets his gift. Um, uh, I knew I would count on another toddler parent to get that. But uh, Antonio gets his gift, and there's this beautiful tree that spurts up, and there's, his gift is he can speak to animals. And, uh, and all these animals are running around, and it's just beautiful, and there's like sustenance and nourishment, and everything is good and right. And that's the image that, that the king gets in his dream, that everything is good and right, and people are fed, and it's wonderful, and it's beautiful, and it was abundant. And then a messenger from the Lord comes and cries out, maybe the worst thing you can hear when things are going well for you. They say, cut down that tree. And they don't leave it at cut down that tree. Not only do they say cut down that tree, they say strip it bare and scatter the fruit. Like we don't want just like a clean chop and then it laying down because maybe stuff, we're going to completely eviscerate this tree. It's going to be nothing that you recognize or, or uh, anything that you remember when we are done with it. And this is obviously uh, pretty... Uh, pretty like jarring because it's a messenger from the Lord and King Nebuchadnezzar's had enough dreams at this point that he's beginning to realize like something is wrong here. Now, a side note, this is for free, okay? I'm just giving this to you. Uh, it is important to remember while living in Babylon <coughs> that just because something is powerful or just because something is beautiful or just because something is abundant, or just because something is growing, or just because something has favored doesn't mean it's from God. Of course, it doesn't mean it's not from God either, but they don't always go hand in hand. We have to, as God's people, change our metric for measuring success and measuring all of these things uh, from abundance to faithfulness. We are no longer measuring success by, oh, things are going really well. We're measuring success by, have I done, have we done as God's people what God has asked us to do? We're not worried about packing out this building. We're not worried about how many people, how many coworkers we have brought to the Lord. Again, those are all good things that I, want, uh, that I want us to accomplish. But what we are worried about is at the end of the day, if we can take a good, honest look in the mirror and a good, honest look at one another, can we genuinely say, 
Have we been faithful to what God has called us to do? Because we can be big and not about the things of God. We can be small and not about the things of God. But we can multiply and grow, whether it's this gathering or or your business or whatever it is, and you can be faithful to what God's called you to do, and you can be small and be faithful to what God has called you to do. One of my biggest, uh, there's a date in college that, um, that stands out to Amanda and I, and it's just one of those dates where you just have really good conversation. And the conversation was centered around a professor that I disagreed with, and so we were just breaking that down. And he looked at us one time, and he was like, I bet a lot of you, if you were offered to take a church, uh, if you were offered to pastor a church of 700 or 70, I bet a lot of you would take the, the church of 700 over the 70. I was like, well, there's a lot of factors that you're leaving out there. Like, what if the church of 70 is about to close their doors and is a red-hot mess and there's no helping it? And the church of 700, I was like, we, what I'm getting at is we have to change the things that we're looking at. Have we been faithful to what God has called us to do? If so, it's all we can do. So, again, that was for free. Um, the messengers come, say, you got to cut this thing down. And the, it says in verse 17, the decision is announced by the messengers, the holy ones declaring the verdict, so that, so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on the earth and gives them anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of people. Now, what is important for us to recognize in this verse is the so that. This isn't just a blanket judgment from God because he's mean. This isn't a judgment from God because he's vindictive. This is a judgment from God because his power cannot be matched. He's saying, here's what the messenger says, so that the living may know that the Most High is what? Is sovereign. The purpose of this judgment was because King Nebuchadnezzar had not lived under or surrendered to the the sovereignty of God. And the reality is, wherever we fall in our station in life, wherever you're sitting at today, you are living under God's sovereignty. Your decision to surrender to it or to not surrender to it does not negate God's sovereignty. He is sovereign, period. We get to the chance to respond or choose how we respond uh, to that sovereignty. And the tree was going to be cut down, not because it was large or impressive. We talked about this. That's not the metric of what, what God's looking for here. It's getting cut down not because it was big and because it was providing sustenance and nutrients and all of these things. It was getting cut down because it had begun to, uh, the, the rule and the reign of King Nebuchadnezzar and his kingdom that he started to build and to develop was beginning to infect his heart and beginning to overshadow God's rule and God's reign. And sovereignty, I wrestled with this all week, okay? Sovereignty is one of those uh, discussions that is really hard for us to tackle because we don't really see lots of examples in, in the West and in the U.S. specifically of like absolute and total sovereignty. We talked about this at the beginning. One of the things that we're really good at is, is saying, I am an individual and so you can't tell me what to do. I, uh, I am in charge of my own life, which to some extent is like true, uh, but it, it puts us uh, kind of our backs against the wall when we're talking about this theological concept of sovereignty because we don't see uh, a lot of examples. So typically when you're hearing about sovereignty, you're hearing about um, 
uh, about like monarchs, kings or queens, and the area that we have rule over. Maybe honestly, like you, I don't even know if we could if we could say that the U.S. president or like the, the federal government has total and absolute sovereignty over um, over over the people of the United States. And maybe one of the closest uh, correlations or comparisons you could make is uh, a police precinct. And, like, we have jurisdiction, we have rule and reign over a particular area. Again, whether or not people choose to submit to that rule and reign is up to them. But that's, uh, there's, it's, but again, it still falls a little bit short. And it's one of those things that you just put your best college try towards it. And sovereignty, I don't want to be dismissive, but it's one of those things that in our finite human brains, we have a little bit of a hard time understanding it. And so you do your best to put some terms and some definitions in front of it, but then you go, God, this is one of your mysteries, and I don't understand how it all plays out, and I don't understand all the implications, but here's the best that I understand it, and so I'm going I'm to match my life up according with that. And so as I, as I really sought the Lord for this week, uh, for like how can we best understand sovereignty, here's the, I feel like, the redemptive picture that was given to me. Think about building a sandcastle. This is one of Hudson and Miles's. Miles is more on the tearing down of the sandcastles, but Hudson is a big sandcastle builder. Um, and uh, when we're at the beach, he loves building he loves telling me how to build expansive sandcastles. He has very little to do with it, uh, but I'm, I'm the hands and the feet of the operation. And so think about you're building a sandcastle, and if I build a sandcastle right here, and then one of you guys comes up and builds a sandcastle right here, uh, that's great, and we have two sandcastles, but let me ask you this question. There's no, like it's all sand underneath it, and there's sand this way, and there's sand this way. Uh, where does this sandcastle stop and this sandcastle start? I mean, on some level, you could go through each individual grain of sand and say, this is yours, this is mine. That's, that's absurd. It is hard to differentiate. Yes, we can build unique, identifiable things, but it's hard for us to differentiate where I stop and you start. And this is the downfall of how we have constructed and built our lives. That it's difficult for us to, to be able to really, when you think about it, say, here's where, because our decisions are, uh, the things that we do have consequences on everyone around us, whether you like to admit it or not, especially as God's people. We're like a living organism here. And again, like it or not, when you signed up for the Jesus thing, you signed up for belonging to a community, and a community that's far bigger than, than those that gather here on Townway Road. Like a community that involves Second, and the seven Baptist churches, and the other churches in town. Uh, we're like, we're, we belong to something a lot larger than this, and so it's hard to differentiate where I start and you stop, or, or vice versa. But that's because I think when we look at that situation, we're looking at it wrongly. See, we're looking at it through our eyes, where we go, where do I start and you stop? And where does my domain begin and yours end? But I think it would do us well to zoom out and just notice, and excuse me for being corny, but just recognize and admit that the entire beach belongs to God. 
that he has rule and reign over the entire thing. Psalm 24, one of my favorite uh, psalms, says this, The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness therein of it. The, the earth and those who inhabit it. It's all God's. The earth is the Lord. So the very foundation that we stand on, the creation, like the, the material, tangible things, is God's. And then those who inhabit it, they are also God's. God is sovereign. God rules and reigns and, and judges and offers grace and does everything because it's his. We have to, we have to, we have to remember God's sovereignty. The choice is for us, again, to acknowledge it and to live under it. We're going to talk about what that looks like in a little bit. To acknowledge it and live under it, or just choose to, from this point forward, because we've talked about it now, you can't claim ignorance, to willfully ignore it and say, I'm not going to live my life by that standard. I'm going to go do my own thing, which is the example we get from King Nebuchadnezzar. Look at me, I've built this incredible thing. <clears throat> so the king tells him about it, and Daniel, here's Daniel's response, which is never what you want to hear from an expert. He says, oh, my lord, king, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. Uh-oh, your majesty, you are that tree. You will be driven away from people and you will live with wild animals and you will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven and seven times will pass by until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms on the earth and, give them to whoever he, and gives them to whoever he wishes. Again, I want to point out, the judgment is not coming because King Nebuchadnezzar had built something impressive. The judgment is coming because King Nebuchadnezzar had built something impressive and assumed that it was him that built it. That it wasn't, uh, Nathan talked about this, that, that it wasn't God who raised him up and who was about to make him low. The command to leave the stump of the tree and the roots means that your kingdom will be restored when? When you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness, uh, uh, wickedness by being the king to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. A lot of times we look at God's sovereignty and we see really, uh, we see really harsh dynamics. Like we look at this judgment and we say that was pretty like wild of God to make King Nebuchadnezzar crazy and to like go out in a field and act like he was a cow and do all of this stuff. Like that, that seems like a little bit overkill. But I love finding the moments of God's grace in these stories because what does Daniel say? It's not a, a set done. It says renounce your sins by doing what's right. And, you're, and renounce your wickedness by, by oppressing people. And it may be then that your prosperity will continue. Again, uh, this is one of the drums I'm going to beat most often with us, uh, is that God is more concerned about our heart than our actions. I tell that to students all the time. 
I then give the caveat so parents don't come yell at me. He very much also does care about your actions. You can't go rogue and do whatever. But I think, uh, as the proverb says, guard your heart because out of it is it's the wellspring of life. That's what is your animating and motivating thing. And that's what God is saying here, that God is worried about King Nebuchadnezzar's heart because out of it is coming all this really wicked and evil stuff. He's not submitting to the rule and reign of the God of creation. But he's offered grace also. Daniel's saying, hold up, change your ways. But that doesn't happen. And it says, 12 months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, and again, it's one of those things that you just say it, and uh, uh, on the back end we go, oh, I would never say something like that. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. So he's walking out on the roof of the palace, and he looks out over his kingdom, which is expansive and impressive. And here's what he said. Is not this the great Babylon I have built as a royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? He looks out and he goes, I did this. Now again, as the good Jesus people that we are, uh, we look at that and we go, well, that's a little bit ridiculous. You did this, King Babylon? Of course, God raises up and God sets low. But again, if we take that good hard look in the mirror, when do you survey the kingdom of your life and go, kind of got it going on? Because I promise you that both you and I have said something very similar. Maybe not using the same words as kingdom and, and authority and rule and majesty and all of those sort of things. But I promise you we have said something similar. The first thing that came to mind when I was thinking about this was I was a sophomore in high school. And uh, I was on a youth retreat. My dad was there with me. And I had spoken somewhere. And I had just God had graced me with lots of opportunities to, to use the gift of preaching and teaching uh, to bless his church. And I was so grateful for that. Um, and as a sophomore, you don't quite have the, the frontal lobe developed, and you're not thinking quite straight. And uh, uh, someone had texted me. We were living in Indiana. Someone texted me from Michigan, a church we had gone on a mission trip with, and we're, they were like, we want you to come preach at our church. And I remember I took the text to Dad, and I've never seen uh, the look on his face again because it wasn't like, it wasn't like I'm mad at you. It was like, the, it's like I'm not mad, Jordan. I'm just disappointed which is far more cutting, but I, I go up to dad and I tell him what happens and out of my mouth, which again, wellspring of the heart, so it's clearly something going on in there. I go up to my dad and said, dad, I just got invited. I'm a sophomore in high school. I just got invited to speak at this church up in Michigan. And the next words that, have, that came out of my mouth, which haunt me to this day and are telling of my, 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 the front running sins in my life are, dad, I've made it. Dad, I've made it. I've made it. I've made it. And you might not be getting invited up to Michigan. You might not be saying the words, I've made it. But at some point in your life, I, I promise you, just because I know people, you have looked at something in your life and you have felt that same feeling in your heart. Maybe you didn't even verbalize it, but you went, I got it going on. Well, there's something pretty special about what's happening here. 
And your gut reaction, your gut inclination was not to give glory and praise to the Father in heaven who gives good gifts. Your first gut reaction and inclination was not to, to praise God who, who raises up and sets low. But your, your gut reaction, your first inclination was to look at that and go, I must be pretty special. Again, I want to be super clear. God is not against good things for your life. He's not. God is for us. He is not against us. He is not a mean God. He is not, a, he is not an evil God. He gives good gifts. But he also knows what's in your heart. He also knows the posture of that heart. He also knows the things that you're bowing the knee of your heart to. And when we are not bowing the knee of our hearts to God's sovereignty and God's rule and reign, that leads us down a path that leads to death, not life, not, not the abundant life that Jesus talked about in John. So maybe for you it sounds something uh, along the lines of, hey, congrats on closing that deal. That's a, that's a, that's a big move. Congratulations. You go, I just always had a way with clients. I just, I know what they need and I meet that need. Or uh, someone's like, your kids are so well behaved. And you, congratulations, your kids are just wonderful. And you go, we just, we've stuck to our guns in parenting. And we read some books that were really helpful and we just know what we're doing. Or maybe uh, you're like, look at my house that I worked really hard to build. And we remodeled the whole thing. We, we just, and if you, if you have remodeled the thing, come talk to me afterwards because I do need some remodeling help on our new house. But, uh, but you're saying, like, look what I've done. I'm pretty, I'm pretty good. And again, I've talked about this, but I think far more concerning than the words that are coming out of our mouth are the heart posture that's leading to those words. Daniel says, even as the words were on the king's lips, a voice came from heaven and said, this is what I've decreed to you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. And in an instant of refusing to recognize and surrender and live under the sovereignty of God, gone. He walks out in the field, he eats grass like a cow, and he's humbled. But that's not where he finishes it. Again, God's a gracious God. God's, God's heart is for redemption and, and for reconciliation. And it says at the, in verse 34, it says, at the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven and my sanity was restored. And then I praised the Most High and I honored and I glorified him who lives forever. And now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of Heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. So we've been talking about what it means for us to live in Babylon. We talked about, uh, Sam talked about our presence in, in the community in meaningful ways and, and being present and bringing what we have to the table. And then we talked about living with eternity in mind. Like this is all very, very temporary in the grand scheme of things. Uh, and there's an eternity that is coming and we better be prepared for it and we better be preparing others for it. And then we talked about, Jordan talked about uh, facing difficult situations with just hearts full of courage regardless of what happens. 
And, and today, when we are recognizing that we are living in Babylon, that things are not as they should be, we need to remember that God is sovereign. He is ruling and reigning actively. He's not pacing around about the, the world events or world news. He's not pacing around about national events or national news. He's not wringing his hands, but he is where? On his throne. Ruling and reigning. He is sovereign. He has absolute authority and jurisdiction. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it and everyone in it. And as I, as I see it, I want to wrap up with this. As I see it, there are two big dangers in forgetting God's sovereignty. Because <clears throat> the first way that you can forget God's sovereignty is to think that God has abandoned us. Uh, the Bible talks about no one has ever seen God but we see God through like community and through Jesus and all of those things. Uh, but it can be really easy for us while living in Babylon to think that God has left us. That he set the world in motion and just shoved it off into the cosmos. And we're just sitting here just kind of making our own way. And if we forget he's actively ruling and reigning, we can so easily forget that he is present in the midst of our trouble. Again, ruling and reigning in charge. When we encounter hard seasons in Babylon, as things aren't as they should be, we can remember that God is there with us. Let's hearken back to my first week, Psalm 124. Praise be to the God that didn't go off and leave us. He's ruling, he's reigning, he's sovereign, and he's here. So take heart, take courage. God is here actively working, actively ruling, actively working things out for our good and his glory. So let's not think that he's abandoned us. Let's take courage. Let's take heart. And the second thing we can do when we forget God's sovereignty is kind of what King Nebuchadnezzar fell into. And that is to to think that uh, I forget God's sovereignty, so I think that I am God. We have the ability to way over-assume our rule and our reign and our authority in our lives. And this was the king's problem. He assumed that because as he looked around, the kingdom was prosperous and things were going well, he assumed that he must be doing something right. Then the next, again, natural inclination is to assume that he must be something pretty special. And he forgot that God is the one that raises up and makes low. So we can, uh, we can be humbled by God in two ways. We can actively do it, actively bowing that knee, surrendering our heart to God, or we can be humbled like King Nebuchadnezzar. But either way, we're going to have to at some point come face-to-face with the reality of God's sovereignty. And when we come face-to-face with the reality of God's sovereignty, we come face-to-face with the reality of our unsovereignty. That we recognize like, oh, I am not in control of anything. All it takes is a phone call. All it takes is that news that you weren't anticipating hearing. And you go, I have no control over what's happening right now. I have, like, you would do something if you could, but you can't. God hasn't left us. And you are not God. But God is God. And God is sovereign. God is ruling and reigning, and guess what? We don't have uh, uh, someone ruling and reigning who is uh, 
pushy or mean or rude, but he's gentle and he's loving and he's good. And we don't have a high priest. We don't have someone ruling and reigning over us that is unable to sympathize with our weakness. But in every way, he was made like a servant, being obedient to death. Where? Death on a cross, the most humiliating, humbling way ever. God is with us in the midst of Babylon. And God is sovereign, and we need to surrender our heart to that kingship, to that sovereignty. So I'm going to pray for us. Uh, we're going to, uh, to close with a song uh, just talking about God being the king of everything and the story of God and how he's worked and ruled and reigned. And so will you guys stand with me? I'm going to pray for us. We're going to sing together. We're going to do a couple things and then go out as a people living under God's sovereignty. So Heavenly Father, we are grateful. We're grateful for this chance to gather. We're grateful for the chance to remember your sovereignty. But in the midst of remembering your sovereignty and your rule and your reign, we're grateful for the opportunity to remember your goodness and your love that encounters us. So Lord, I just pray for our hearts right now that you will allow us an opportunity to surrender our hearts to you, trusting that you are working, trusting that you are with us, and trusting that you will never leave us. And Lord, as we leave this place, we will give you all the glory and the honor and the praise for the ways that our community is transformed. God, we just ask all these things in your precious and holy name. Amen.